are your babies? They're good. They're good. I've got one of them is sleeping, laying on me right now. And the other one is in bed. So So you're just getting home from work right now or? Yeah, I just got home and I took a, I took a shower and now I'm just hanging out. Okay. So you have like, you get home and immediately take a shower. Yeah. So I'm working on a COVID floor. So they converted my normal unit to a COVID unit. We disrobe in the garage. We lice all, all of our clothes. I take them off. I put them directly into the wash. I go directly into the shower. Like, I don't touch the baby. I try to not really touch anything. So, like, once I, you know, and then I, I like, I lice all out my car today just to not, like, you don't want to forget about, you know, your steering wheel or whatever. But it was, uh, like a particularly gross day, so I wanted to make sure I cleaned everything. Aww. So yeah, I work at Robert Johnson in New Brunswick, um, the major trauma center, large hospital. I'm cur- I typically work on a neuroscience floor, but they converted it to a COVID floor. And so everyone on our unit is COVID positive. Um, and then in terms of my family, I am married and I have a 22-month-old son. <laughs> So our concerns with that are vast because we both work in healthcare. So we're both exposed one way or the other. I have a lot more protective equipment because I'm on a known COVID floor. They don't always know who's positive in this like hospital. So that's a a risk for exposure too. When you're working on the non-COVID units in the hospital, which sometimes we get sent there depending, part of the problem is there's a lot of false negatives. People will be COVID, will have COVID and you won't know. And even if it's suspected until it's confirmed, the patient remains on the floor. So you're exposed. So there's a lot of exposure. I mean, you know, it's just, um, it's been a large systemic infrastructure failure from the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of like the whole business model for healthcare is, is, is crumbling. Like it's just at the expense of those working at the hospital. You know, there was, there's no drastic increase in sanitation. There's no drastic increase in cleaning. In fact, we're restricted in the amount of like sanitizing wipes we're allowed to use. And we're restricted in the amount of PPE and masks and gowns that we're allowed to use all for cost savings. And they were talking this week about increasing the amount of patients that we have that are COVID positive, which isn't particularly safe because people are dying much more frequently <laughs> because of COVID, you know, and since these are res- a lot of times respiratory issues, it requires a higher level of care. The rationale that we get from the hospital is it's cost savings, cost savings, cost savings. And, you know, so that whole cost savings model for healthcare is really imploding and hurting a lot of people and hurting a lot of medical staff. You know, there's plenty of folks who work on my floor, have tested positive. For instance, the unit clerk. They don't give the unit clerk PPE. The unit clerk got COVID. You know, she gets one flimsy mask. Mm. You know, and she's over 60 years old and she has the health profile for somebody who would really be affected by COVID since she ended up being hospitalized. Mm. You know, and that's constant constantly happening. Initially, when this began, New Jersey declared a state of emergency. The hospital's state of emergency policy states that you can't use, you can't call out sick during a state of emergency. 
Now, usually a state of emergency is like a two-day blizzard, not a two-month pandemic where you're going to get sick. So they were penalizing the healthcare workers and not paying them for the time that they were sick. And it's just, it's just you have to ask a lot of larger questions about, <clears throat> you know, <laughs> humanity, the government, and the system at large that are very, very uncomfortable. And it's kind of like, if you don't help the people that are there to help you when you need help, then who is going to be there to help you when you need help? You know, it's, a, it's, it's ridiculous. Uh, it's a bit of a joke. You kind of get the feeling from the hospital, the administration, and the people that are in power that they're going to ride it out with their money and their time, and we're just going to have to take it. And they're going to give us little things like 100 bucks here and there and some pins and some cups and commemorative. And they're going to call us heroes, right? right? When we're really more like prisoners of mm -hmm. a capitalist system in which we have to work um, and, you know, expose our families and friends and grandmas to this kind of thing. You know, we're really, we're captives and it's, and it's, this is not an elective thing. You know, this is like, we're trapped, you know, there's nowhere else to go. The problem is not even the sickness. It's not the patients. It's the system, you know, the system imploding upon itself and not providing us the kind of help that we need to do what we need to do, you know, to get where we need to go. You know, I think a lot of people who don't work in healthcare are just like looking for these kind of clues into what is happening on the inside because we don't understand, you know, we don't understand and we don't really know, like you get glimpses of it. But then besides that, it's like, yeah, a lot of people like, let's congratulate them for being heroes and let's like thank them, which I think is really special. But you're talking about that's, a whole other smoke and mirrors. Yeah. They're trying to distract you from what they're actually doing and what the issues actually are. Do you feel like there was a moment when you knew, like, oh, my gosh, this is going to get really bad? Or like, I, think I remember I was walking out of work and they started talking about it. And I was talking about it with some of the rapid response nurses. And rapid response nurses come when there's a patient in crisis and assess and assist with treatment. So they've been very busy lately. But initially, we had heard about it, and we were joking, and we said, you know, this can't be more than, like, a flu, like a terrible flu, right? And then I remember seeing the same rapid response nurses two weeks later and saying to him, remember when we had jokes? Because <laughs> it is not funny, and this is not a flu, you know, and it is very, very, very uncomfortable to watch this kind of thing happen to human beings, and to have it feel like it's allowed to also happen to us because we're not protected by the system. You know, and I had called a lawyer at one time just to kind of get a picture of like what it looked like to them. It's a, it's a lawyer that usually represents unions. Um, <clears throat> like, you know, can we, can we sue the hospital for this? Can we, can we do something? You know, like what, what, what would, what would be an avenue for us? And he said the system from the top down, the federal government down is so loosened in its regulations that there's no system of accountability. There's no one to come and check. There's no one to make sure that we're following protocols and rules and ethics and safety. It's all so loose that the hospitals can pretty much do whatever they want. And, and some of what I'm hearing now is that hospitals are, I know, I think they did it in Iowa already, are being granted immunity 
mm. for not providing what they need to provide because it's a business and it's money and you can't, you know, you, the hospital is something that, you know, <clears throat> no one's going to want to take down a hospital. Once they, once it did start to seem like, okay, this is going to be a really big and long lasting issue. Did they begin then to give you protective equipment or like, was that just something that wasn't really uh, available? The practice now is to be given, um, like an N95 or whatever fits you, you get fit tested, like an equivalent that fits you. Um, and then you're supposed to reuse it two or three times, like two or three shifts, just 12 hour shifts. But these are supposed, all of these things are intended for one time use when they were made, like that's their intention. You know, and, and on the COVID floor, you, you'll be given a face shield, but you're supposed to clean it. And you know, when you go, now they're saying, use the same gown, go room to room because everybody has COVID, but there, you know, there's other sources of infection. It's not a great idea. It's not a great practice. And it's certainly not what we were taught we were ever going to be doing. And previous to this event, you would never, ever, 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 ever walk out of a room that you were gowned in and go into another room. Never. Like you'd be disciplined, you know, but none of that <clears throat> matters anymore. You know, and, and I've seen better cleaning efforts from the beginning till now at like Walmart and Costco. <laughs> you know, they'll shut the whole store down and like wipe it with a sand wipe. And if they, there's no increase, they're not hiring more people to clean. They're not sending more people to clean. They're not even really doing a better job. And it's just like the prevention methods that you're taught about infection control are just like a memory. <sighs> That's awful. I'm so sorry. It's, it's the system. It's not the sickness, you know, like it's, it's like, while I don't like watching people, um, you know, struggle in the way that especially the elderly struggle with this, um, disease, they're not the issue, you know, like, you know, like it's, it's bigger than that. But I have a feeling that this is going to continue a lot longer than anyone would like it to. You know, we're going into summer. People are going to want to go outside. There's no cure. There's no solid treatment. There's no inoculation. I think, you know, what else would happen other than we would get like a large wave. And the reason, you know, for social distancing at this point, as far as I can see, is not to stop it or eradicate it, but to slow it so that there's room at the hospital if you need to go to the hospital. You know, if this were bigger, it would be hard to physically fit in the hospital. People have to delay care for other issues because they don't want to come to the hospital. And if you can avoid it, you shouldn't. I mean, there's just so many, there's so many people here and they're so close together, you know? Yeah. Definitely. I'm, I'm worried about it all the time just cause that's where my parents are too. So I'm always kind of like checking the news up there and seeing what's going on. Yeah. I think that what you're saying about them not doing any enhanced like protocols is very frightening and that scares me for you. I mean, it just seems Wrong. Well, the practice has been for a very, very long time in hospitals and in medicine to get by with the bare minimum at the bedside as a cost savings. Right. And 
that mode of functioning is not good during this time specifically in a very big way. And that's like a huge hospital where they have resources. Oh, yeah, no, it's great here compared to the surrounding small ones. Right. Like that's yeah. like an actual, well, what you would think of as a well-equipped hospital. Oh, yeah. No, it's a, it's a, it's the best hospital. One of the best hospitals in New Jersey, maybe second best. No, it's a major hospital. All the surrounding smaller hospitals, I can't imagine. Do they test you? Yeah, I, I was COVID negative, but I've had people die who were COVID negative, so. They've oh, died okay. with the, like, with yeah. symptoms? There's other markers, like an elevated D-dimer and things that, you know, factor into coagulation. So I don't know. I mean, I've probably been exposed. Maybe I have antibodies. Maybe it just ran through me real quick and I didn't have a lot of symptoms because sometimes in younger, healthier people that happens. It's powerlessness. It's futility. It's rage. It's yeah. all of those things. It's disappointment in society and your fellow man on a pretty large level. All kinds of things. You know, and, and, and then there's like larger thoughts like... The problem is there's just the two of us. There is no child care. Our parents are old mm -hmm. and ill. Um, you know, we have our son, like, you know, and we, if anything happens to us, like the options are small. You know, we, we put our wills together and we emailed them to my friend who's a notary because she would have to notarize them. But we actually can't meet up with her, you know, because we don't want to expose her. So we got, we just documented everything that was our intention for what we would want for him, you know, where we would want him to go, who we would want him to go to, you know, because we don't really want him to go to our families, you know, because they're older and sick and, you know, his parents. Wait, are you saying that you, you put together a will, like, at the beginning of this situation? Yes. Both of us did. Just as a response um, and just thinking, yeah, my, like, we, we have to do this. custody to go to Emily. Yeah. Um, and if not Emily... Um, Bill. How do you even have that conversation? <laughs> like it's necessary. Yeah. It's just the necessity of it. And then the problem is if one of us got sick, the other one would have to take care of him. And then neither of us would be able to work. And, it and one of the things that's carried me through all of this in my mind anyway, just mentally is that most of the time children do fine. Yeah. You know, they recover. And people recover from them. People get discharged from the hospital and they recover. It's just that, um, you know, and it, a lot, largely it's, it's the elderly. They just cannot bounce back a lot of the time because they don't understand the disease fully. So you could have a respiratory issue and then you can have, your kidneys could shut down. You could become septic. You could, you know, throw a clot and have pulmonary embolism. You know, like there's a, there's a lot going on with it that they don't totally understand. Sometimes people are recovering from the respiratory part of it. And then a couple of weeks later, they'll have a clot, you know, and so they could have a stroke, they could have a pulmonary embolism and they're not sure why that's happening. Um, you know, it's, there's something to do with the coagulation in the body, but they're not understanding entirely what it is yet from everything that I've read. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Um, and sometimes with younger people, you have like an overwhelming immune response you know, so just like a really high fever, things like that, that are dangerous. So these are, I mean, they're just finding out as they go along. I just, 
you know, you have little kids. I would like the world to be a little better for my son. <laughs> and I, I would like to, you know, be able to be there for him for his life. You know, I don't get to say, but that's the goal. A large source of the fear is fear of um, something happening to my son or not being able to be there for my son. I think you've known me long enough that I'm pretty irreverent and flippant about life on earth. But <laughs> when I had him, that made it a little different. You know, I felt like I should, um, you know, secure my seat on this planet as best I could in order to care for him. So that's where the fear is. Like I want a better life for him, a safe life for him, you know, um, and I want to be able to take care of him. You know, I don't want something to take that away. <sighs> yeah. I'm sorry. It's so hard. I'm just, my heart goes out to you, like hearing all your stories and, I know on our email, you've been like questioning whether or not you need to stay in this role. And I think that's, you know, it's, it's gotta be up to you how to make those decisions at this point. I think I, I think if, if it was just me, I, I don't, I don't think I would, I think I, you know, I think I would still do it, like do the work. Cause I can do the work, but I, I think because of him, like I, I debate like what the safest and best thing to do for him is. So that's why I think about just, you know, if I ever think about running out of my job, it's, it's not because I don't want to care for people. Um, and it's not even just because I'm angry at the hospital and the larger system. It's, it's, I want to make sure I'm there for him, you know, cost what that may. You know, in a discussion, like, do we need to quit our jobs and just not have money and lose the house, but keep, keep our, stay alive and keep ourselves here for our son? Like, what do we need to do? And it's hard to know. I don't know what the right answer is. So far, I've kept going to work, <laughs> you know, because it's like, the feeling is, are we going to, what are we going to return to? When is this going to end? Like, I don't know that we're going to go back to life as we knew it before. And what is life going to look like? Nobody knows, you know, after this. So how, like, how long is it going to be? We don't know. So like, what is the, I don't know what the best thing to do for my son is. And that's kind of, um, the ongoing deep discomfort that I feel.